Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, greetings, friends, and I must confess that with a little melancholy in my heart, I say this. For the last time in our study, open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21. We're in the final chapter. John is winding up the story here, wrapping it all together. I hope that you've been inspired and enriched as much as I have over these last nine months that we've spent going through the book. Last week, we read John's account of the resurrection of Jesus, and we looked at how that event had transformed the lives of his fellow believers. In truth, they would never be the same, and neither are we once we've had an encounter with the risen Lord. Before we close this book, John wanted to relay three important facts that the disciples needed to understand as they were now going to take the gospel out into a world that needed to hear it. In this chapter, we see number one in our notes, they were fishermen who needed to obey. They were fishermen who needed to obey. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, which things? Well, the things from last week. We saw where Thomas who said, I will not believe that He's risen unless I put my hand in the nail's palm prints and I put my finger into his side where he had been speared I will not believe and then Jesus shows up the following Sunday night when Thomas is there and invites him to do just that and all Thomas can say is my Lord and my God well after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias and in this way he showed himself Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, who we just spoke about. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, their brothers. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. When Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Now that can also be translated fish because that's what they're doing right then. They're fishing. They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, (laughs) that's John's description of himself. He uses it often. We now know this is John. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! Now when Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. you got to love Peter. Peter's impetuous. He just reacts. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, which is about 100 yards, dragging the net with fish. It's interesting to watch Peter 
and how he operates. He cracks me up often. He's always up to something. His mind is always at work. Clearly, the others view him as a leader. And when he decided to go fishing, the others went along with his plan. Many times I've wondered if this impulsive decision at such a critical time in their development was the right thing to do or not. Jesus had told them, wait for me in Galilee. Sometimes I thought, well, the Lord said He'd meet them in the Galilee, so taking advantage of maybe being back in their hometown and jumping back into a boat probably didn't, make, didn't matter in the big picture. Perhaps Peter felt like he could make a little money going back into the fishing business, if, if even for a day or three. But over the years, I've come to believe it probably wasn't in Jesus' plan for these guys And Peter may have taken a step in the wrong direction here, a step off course. Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's my opinion that Peter may have felt that he was washed up with the Master. Forgiven? Yes, of course. But no longer worthy of his previous calling. The memory of his denying Jesus was still fresh in his mind. And perhaps he decided to go back to the old family business for a while. But either way here, we see that going back to one's old life never pans out if God has called you to a new purpose. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a new calling and purpose. God was going to use Peter to teach the early church the precepts that he had learned from his Savior. If Peter was wrong, he had led others to follow him. Note to self, be careful and mindful of who's following you and how you're walking. Be careful of your footsteps that others will follow behind. And I speak to every mom and dad in here. Your children will do as you do, not so much do as you say. They will watch you to find out if you believe and if you're following Christ. And the same goes for us grandparents. I have 14 grandchildren, praise God. And now I'm asking the kids, who's next? <laughs> Number 15, come on, we're not done. But I'm mindful when they come to the house, especially when we're going to be together to have something to give them that they can walk away with, spiritually and physically, but to be mindful that they're watching me to see if I believe what I preach. And I want to make sure there's a consistency there. If Peter was wrong. He had led others to follow him. James 3.1 tells us, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. James goes on to warn those in leadership, and really all Christians, that they ought to use their words carefully because we represent Christ to the world. It's interesting to me that of the twelve disciples who chose, or Jesus chose, seven of them were connected to the fishing business. But Jesus had a much more important calling for these young lads, and He would use Peter's fishing expedition on this morning in question, this distraction that He had created, to impart a critical truth to them that without Jesus, they could do nothing of eternal value. If they trusted their own instincts, they would never complete the mission that God had given them. And the same is true of our own lives. 
There's no doubt in my mind that Peter had never forgotten that first time that this had happened to him. Two years earlier, when Jesus had stirred the fish on the same body of water for him, I think the exchange here is humorous. Being a a fisherman myself, I can appreciate their conversation. In San Diego, I owned a fishing boat, and we would go 80 miles offshore to go chase the tuna. It was a lot of fun. And then I became a pastor, and and that didn't work so well because all my friends had weekends off. And, well, I served the Lord on weekends, so I ended up selling it, but I still have the heart of a fisherman. I love being out on the water. And I enjoyed this conversation that they have with Jesus. Had the disciples caught dozens of fish, in my experience, Peter would have had much to say about his fishing prowess. Perhaps shared the new fishing lure that he had just purchased from Cabela. But since he had gotten skunked all night, he only has one answer to that man on the shore asking him, have you caught any fish? No, he shouts back. The way Jesus forms his question here expects a negative answer. Children, have you any food or fish? The literal Greek means this. Children, you haven't got any fish, have you? Jesus isn't asking if they have any fish. He already knows the answer. You don't have any fish, do you? And they say no. I think there's a little frustration in their response. Just like two years previous, Jesus responds with cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they caught a boatload of fish, pun intended, Peter suddenly realizes that he's been to this party before and that the stranger on the beach has to be Jesus. He dives in headfirst and swims to the Lord immediately, leaving the others to struggle with bringing in the large catch. He's got to make it to Jesus. He has to be first to get to Jesus. Here's my point. Once you've surrendered yourself to Christ, you're now called into His service. We work for Him. You're not only made whole spiritually, but Our calling and purpose now belongs to God. And it's the wise man or woman who discovers that calling and jumps headfirst into the plans that the Lord has for each one of us individually. You and I were headed in an entirely different direction in life when we encountered Christ. And if you remember that day, you can probably take yourself back there as I speak. And at that point, God began to reveal His plans to you. I remember mine. I was a cop when Jesus called my name and I ran out of that grave. I remember Him saying, follow me. And and I remember saying, Lord, I'll follow you if it kills me. I'll go wherever you tell me. Just tell me where to go and I'll go there. Tell me what to do and I'll do that. Tell me who to speak to and I'll say that. I just wanted to follow Jesus. And I got discipled for the next year and a half by a wonderful man of God who taught me God's Word. And then I found myself being called out of law enforcement. That was not my plan. Not at all. In fact, I had only made it to 20. I needed to work 30 to get that big payoff. My friends thought I'd lost my mind. People called me in and said, Harris, do you realize if you quit now, you're not going to get the big retirement. This is crazy. I said, you know, guys, you don't understand this, but (laughs) 
I'm a Christian, and God told me to leave, and so I'm going to leave. I can remember one guy said, how could a God that loves you tell you to leave your retirement? And I said, I, I don't know why he's telling me this, but he is. And I've never gone hungry or, or homeless, so I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to go. We'll find out what happens. Well, that guy uh, used to call me every year. Now he calls me every few years and we catch up. But somewhere in the conversation, every single time this happens, he asked me, so, um, are you glad you left? I think he wants a negative response. Oh, I should have listened to you. But I say, no, God's provided more abundantly than I could have ever dreamed or hoped for. I'm not sorry I left. I'm happy I left. I wouldn't be doing what I, what I get to do. I wouldn't be where I get to be. I wouldn't have all of you as my forever family. Are you kidding me? That was the best decision I ever made in my life. Second best decision I ever made in my life. Well, how about you? Have you ever discovered God's plan for your life? And if not, have you ever asked Him, Lord, I just lay it all on the table. It's all yours. Someone said it's a contract between us and God. We just sign the bottom and He fills in the requirements of the contract. We just say we're available. God, what do you want me to do? Just tell me, I'll go. Now, you've got to be careful because He might tell you to go to Idaho if you live in San Diego. But you've got to be ready for that. And I'll tell you, even that, I wouldn't trade for anything. I wouldn't trade any of this for all the gold in the world. Gold won't make you happy. It doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't buy you purpose and meaning. But following Jesus will give you everything you've always wanted but didn't know. And one day in heaven, you'll get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Ask Him, He'll tell you. And then keep your eyes open and start looking for places to serve, looking for conversations you can have. Scripture has a lot to say about God's plans. A lot. I'm just going to give you three verses of the, of the many, I give the dozens upon dozens upon dozens I could give you. Here's three of them. David, Psalm 33, 11 says this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations, including this one, including you. You were not born uh, by happenstance. You were born for such a time as this. God has a plan for you to carry out. See, we're not responsible for what happened to the generations in the past. We're not even responsible for the generations that follow if we get to have more before He comes back. No, we're responsible for the generation He put us in. We're responsible for our neighbor that we live next to. We're responsible for telling the Gospel and sharing the Gospel with people He brings to us individually. Again, David wrote down God's speaking here. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 32.8 And of course, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. And here's the warning. Do not be wise in your own eyes. What happens when we start looking at, at situations? I'm real good at this, by the way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching with you because I'm preaching at myself when I write this. I'm so good at going, 
oh, I know where God's going, and then I'll just try to run ahead or take a shortcut. And then I find out that it's a cul-de-sac. And God's going, come back up here. <laughs> We're not going down there. Follow me. Let's go this way. Don't be wise in your own eyes. These disciples were learning Jesus' words all over again that He had spoke to them perhaps eight weeks before this. Maybe No, not that long ago. It would have been three weeks before this. Where He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in Him bears much fruit. For without Me, you can do nothing. And Peter and, the, and his buddies just learned that on the lake again. Without Jesus, they got skunked. For one, they were fishermen who needed to obey. And number two, they were shepherds who needed to love. They were shepherds who needed to love. They were going to go out into the world now. Jesus was returning to the Father. Now they were going to be the shepherds, the under-shepherds under Jesus. So they needed to learn to love the people Verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Now the fisherman wants to give you more information. When he got skunked, he said, no, I didn't catch him. Now he wants to tell you how many. John actually tells you it was 153 fish, which was a huge amount for that size boat. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. What a morning. Can you imagine breakfast on the sea served by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Creator of all things, including the fish and bread that they were putting in their mouth. Can you imagine Jesus serving you like that? I bet you these guys never forgot that. Debbie and I have had the opportunity of eating the fish out of this lake and, and uh, they're still fishing it 2,000 years later and cooking it on open fires. They, can, they know how to do it. It is so good. But I'm sure it's not like the tilapia a la King of Kings. And when he prepared this fish, boy, I bet you it was amazing. Probably covered it in a wine sauce. I'm, I don't know, just throwing that out there. I can imagine what memories this would have evoked from Peter. Can you imagine him staring at what is going on here in front of him? He must have remembered the teacher telling him how to throw his net on the other side of the boat from two years ago and what had happened on that day too, the same thing. He must have thought of the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus had prepared the exact meal for all those men, but so many more. A couple of days after they had, he, he had done this, fed the 5,000, when curious people abandoned Jesus and, and the Messiah had asked His disciples, do you also want to go away? It was Peter who said John, in John 6.68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that You are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. We don't want to go anywhere. Uh, There's no one else to follow but you. Perhaps as he sat on the beach, staring at the fire of coals, the young follower flashed back to another fire of coals in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas. That would have just taken place a couple of weeks earlier. That time when he denied even knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15.5 reveal at this point in the story, Jesus had already met privately with Peter. No doubt to deal with those sins, those three times that he denied knowing him. But sins committed in public must be dealt with in public. The disciples all knew of Peter's three betrayals. And now Jesus would restore Peter three times in the presence of the team. Sometimes angry people, when they're wrong, want to hold court in the eyes of the public. They want to publicly humiliate their offender in order to exact revenge, all in the name of justice. But that's not what we see here by the fire. The eleven disciples all knew of the sin, so Jesus would deal with it within that group of eleven. And they would never forget that lesson on grace by the sea. Peter had sinned three times. Now Jesus, the author of forgiveness, would restore and recommission Peter three times. What had prepared him for this moment? Well, Peter loved Jesus. I find Jesus' words here fascinating. And this week I believe I've come upon something I have never encountered before. Listen carefully. Verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. On Resurrection Sunday, that evening, He went, we're told, to the upper room where the disciples were, and He showed them His scars and His wounds. Only ten of them were there. Judas, of course, had gone out and hanged himself, so there was eleven. But on that evening, there's only ten because Thomas isn't there. He's not, no one knows where he's at. And then exactly one week later, on a Sunday night again, he comes back when Thomas is there. And he shows himself again to the disciples, especially Thomas. So this is the third time now he showed himself to his disciples. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? More than these? Now that word agape is the highest form of love. It's sacrificial love. It's intense love. It's the love that you see for two friends where one gives the other a kidney so that they can live. It's, this, it's that kind of love where one person lays down their life so that the other can live. It's the deepest form of love. Jesus is asking Simon Peter, Do you agape me more than these? Now that word these gets me. My entire life, I've imagined that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him more than these other disciples. But that's always messed up my head. Because I know these disciples are competitive. They're argumentative. 
They want to be the greatest in the kingdom, remember? They're, they're, they're arguing. They're following behind Jesus and they're going, well, I'm going to be the greatest. No, 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 no. I'm, you know, you're not going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. Jesus loves me more than you. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Remember? Why would Jesus almost start an argument with these guys? Peter, do you love me more than these other ten? I don't think that's what Jesus was pointing at. I think when Jesus asks the question, it's not of these other ten. Allow me to interject a plausible idea here. John had told us that they had just caught an abundant number of fish. In fact, the fishermen made sure we knew that it was 153 in total. A large catch for just this tiny little boat they're in and the small crew they have. And they brought them on shore. But Scripture says Peter went and got the net and drug it, probably at the behest of the Savior who said, bring some of the fish. He probably just grabbed the net and brought it up. Peter had gone back to his past, the family business, the life Jesus had called him out of. He had called him into a new fishing business, which is to catch men and the souls of people. Scripture isn't 100% clear on this, but I now believe that when the sentence, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these was spoken, I don't think Jesus pointed at the disciples. I think he pointed down at the fish, the net full of fish. Peter, do you love me more than this fish? Do you love me more than your family business? Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.